to uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, again, I just really appreciate the opportunity we have to be here uh, to visit with the Warnicks and see their family. And uh, Bob and Anita are very precious to us. In fact, they're, they're like our uh, eighth and ninth child. <laughs> and uh, we... Uh, we love them and appreciate them, and uh, we haven't got to see them a whole lot in the last few years. You've been here four or five years, four years, and uh, even when they were in Virginia, we were still two hours away from one another, and so we didn't get to see them that often, uh, but it's good to uh, kind of reacquaint ourselves, have a family reunion, uh, but I really appreciate the, uh, the church. I appreciate you people loving them. That means a lot to me. Uh, we've had a number of fellows go into the ministry, and uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are churches that are pastor killers. And, you know, we, we work a lot at training young men and trying to develop them to be godly men and examples. And sometimes they get into a local church, and that local church uh, literally uh, uh, works against them. And in many cases drives the, uh, the enthusiasm uh, that God has put in their heart to uh, be faithful to him, and they end up going out of the ministry. Even some of the fellows that I've trained uh, and sent into the ministry have been defeated um, in local churches. So I appreciate you. Uh, this uh, Sunday night crowd is a uh, representation of those that are behind their pastor, and behind the ministry of this church, uh, and you're special, and I want you to know that, and I appreciate you for that. The Apostle Paul, we're going to be looking at a letter that he wrote uh, here to the Romans uh, in just a moment, and, uh, and he loved the people in the church at Rome. He, uh, he didn't start the church at Rome, uh, but he uh, knew a lot about them and heard a lot about them, and his uh, desire uh, was that uh, he go to be with them and see them and teach them and help them. And so that's kind of a, a passion on my heart. And uh, being able to come here and be with you uh, actually fulfills that in my own life. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, as he writes this letter uh, to the Corinthian church, uh, he's doing so about halfway through his third missionary journey. Paul made three missionary journeys. Uh, probably most of you are familiar with that. And uh, so as he writes this uh, particular letter, um, he's in the midst of that, and he's in the process of taking, getting an offering um, from the Corinthian church uh, and taking it to the Romans, to the Christians at Rome. They were in deep poverty, and, and so he's seeking to help them out. Now, as I mentioned, he didn't start the church at, at Rome, but uh, he had uh, heard a lot about them, and as we'll see in the passage in just a moment, he longed to see them. Let's, uh, let's look, open our Bibles and look at, uh, can we get the slide up there? Do we have them? Can we go ahead and put that up there? Okay, Romans chapter 8, and uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 1, and let's look at verse 8, where Paul opens his letter to them, and he writes... He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for, all, for you all. By the way, he was a southerner. Did you notice that? Yeah. For you all. 
He says uh, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now that's a remarkable thing. Uh, he, he didn't start the church. He wanted to go and visit with them and be with them. But he had heard a great deal about them. I wonder when people hear about Calvary Chapel in Minster, Ohio. I wonder what they hear. I hope good things, exciting things going on. People being saved. Christians growing in the Lord. Well, apparently the church at Rome was that way. I, I want it to be, I want our church back in Leesburg, Virginia to be that way. <coughs> Unfortunately, sometimes I'm sure that uh, I disappoint the Lord in, in, my, uh, in my life. Um, but I hope that I can be the example that I need to be there in Leesburg, and I'm, I'm sure your pastor does here in Minster, and, uh, and you do as well. You want to be a good testimony for the Lord and a good representative of your church. In verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of uh, his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my what? Isn't that amazing? Paul had never met these people, but yet they were on his heart, and he prayed for them. And notice, he says, I make uh, mention, he says, they're always in my prayer. Make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul was a, a real prayer warrior. He says in verse 10, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God, to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. And so he wants to be a help to them as they grow in the Lord, and he wants to come and strengthen them spiritually is what he's saying. But what I want to focus on is what is in verse 10. Um, on Wednesday night, I'm, I'm sure that probably you have some kind of prayer service. Is that is that true? Okay, so do you have a prayer list of some sort that you uh, print up? Okay, and on that prayer list, you have prayer requests, right? Okay, so Paul's writing to these Christians that are at Rome, in the church there at Rome, and he's saying, now listen, I have a prayer request. Have you ever had a prayer request? The apostle Paul did. And so he's saying, I want you to pray. Now, notice verse 10 again. He says, making requests. See that? He's making a prayer request. He says, making request, if by any means, now at length, here's the request, I might have a, say it, two words, prosperous journey. That I might have a prosperous journey, and then he adds, by the will of God, to come unto you. So he's asking them, would you please pray, and we would say it this way today, for traveling mercies? Have you ever, ever done that? Would you please pray that I would have a prosperous journey by the will of God as I come unto you? 
Now, um, I thought that was interesting, the way that Paul said that. And so as I began to study uh, about this particular journey that Paul made uh, and his request to have, and, and he added this little word, prosperous journey. And I got to thinking, you know, many times we have requests that we might have a successful, and that's what prosperous has the idea of, successful uh, that we might have a prosperous journey, but what do we mean when we ask someone to pray for a prosperous journey? Why don't we pray right now and ask God to help us as we look at this passage of Scripture together? Well, as we, let's turn this thing on so we can turn our screen up. There we go. Uh, Paul had a prayer request for a prosperous journey. Okay, so... What is a prosperous journey? If you had that request, if you made that request, what kind of things would you be expecting others to pray for when they prayed for you? Tell me. Talk to me tonight, okay? What? Protection, okay? Health. What? Health. Health. Safety. Safety. Anyone else? No problems. No problems? No problems. What? Wisdom. Wisdom, okay, good. All these are great. You guys are sharp. Anyone else? Well, as I begin to think about, if I were praying for a prosperous journey, probably one of the things that I would pray for is to be able to go first class. <laughs> one of my sons lives in Atlanta, and uh, he does a lot of flying in the past couple of weeks. He's he actually flew out, helped me for a week, flew back over the weekend to be with his family, and then flew back the next week. And he could do that because he has a lot of air miles. And uh, one of the links, uh, they upgraded him to first class. And uh, he was kind of bragging about that, you know, and, and uh, how the seats are wider. The leg room is more. Uh, and, you know, the, in fact, the, the seats are really cushing or uh, more cushy. Well, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Is, it, is that a word? I'm looking over at my wife. She's my uh, more cushy. They're softer and more relaxing. And, uh, and, you, and you're not as crowded, you know, as you are when you're riding in coach. First class. If I, if, you know, if I were praying for a prosperous journey, I'd probably want to have a good class. Now, Back in this day, they didn't have airplanes. I know that shocks you. Uh, but uh, they either had to walk, or uh, in some cases, they might be able to ride a donkey. But from where Paul was in Palestine to go to uh, Rome, that was a long trip. A lot further than here to Virginia. And the way you would get there is you would go by ship. Now, if I were going by ship um, and I were praying for a prosperous journey, I think I would want to pray for some good weather. And somebody mentioned something similar to that just a minute ago. And so uh, I, uh, I worked for the Navy for 14 years. I have actually been on a, uh, a missile cruiser. 
Uh, we worked on uh, missile cruisers and uh, air-to-surface-to-air missiles. And so we actually had to go on um, the missile range and, and, and shoot at drones. And uh, when the sea is rough, uh, I am not a happy camper. My stomach isn't either. And there's a, there's a thing called seasickness. Anybody have seasickness? Have you ever experienced that? It is not fun. I hear that uh, Dr. Pat Creed has been up here. Uh, Dr. Creed is actually my pastor. Brother Warnick, your pastor is his grandson in the Lord. <laughs> He's my pastor. And um, he has a son named Patrick. Have you ever had Patrick up here? Patrick is about that tall. Big old guy. And we went fishing out on the Chesapeake Bay one day. And uh, a bunch of guys from the church, we went fishing. And uh, Patrick, uh, we stayed in a motel. We got down there late one night. We stayed in a motel. And the next morning, they had all the guys gathered at the breakfast place. And man, Patrick, being this big guy that he was, he just pigged out on... Uh, eggs and sausage and pancakes. I mean, he was just eating this big breakfast. Big mistake. <laughs> big mistake. Well, it was a big mistake for him, but it was a help for everybody else. Because what happened was, he wasn't on that boat, but just 30 minutes or so, and he was as sick as a dog. <laughs> And he started chumming the fish. <laughs> All of that breakfast that he had just eaten was going overboard. And you know what? That brought the fish to us. <laughs> <laughs> now, fortunately, I didn't eat a whole lot and uh, because I suspected what was going to happen. And uh, so praise God, I didn't get seasick uh, that particular day. But if I were going to go on a journey on a ship, I would pray for good weather and calm seas. Uh, something else that I would pray for is no problems. Somebody mentioned that, I think, no problems. Sounds like somebody that pulls a camping trailer and goes down the highway with his family. Uh, we don't want any mechanical problems or fire uh, tires to blow out or anything. Like, you never had anything like that, right? No, praise God. Uh, somebody mentioned this one as well. Safety. Now, doesn't that sound like uh, kind of the way we would pray if we were praying for ourselves or for someone to have a prosperous journey? Okay, you know, the great thing about the Bible is it kind of gives us some insight as to uh, what actually happened on this journey. So let's kind of go back and look at these things together and, uh, and see if we can glean some insight. So Paul prays that, uh, asked them to pray that he would have a prosperous journey. Let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Now, toward the end of uh, Paul's uh, third missionary journey. He's actually writing this letter in the middle of that journey. Uh, but toward the end, he's in Jerusalem. And as he's in Jerusalem, 
He's preaching uh, in the temple. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the word of God. And a lot of people get upset. But a lot of people get saved. And that's why some of these religious leaders were getting upset. A lot of the Gentiles, the Greeks that were there, were receiving Christ as Savior. And so in chapter uh, 21, we have uh, the beginning of the account of what happened just before he departed. Uh, And in Acts chapter 21, uh, let's drop all the way down to verse 30. It says, Now all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul. This is the guy writing the letter. And they drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. You know what they were doing? Arresting him. He is being arrested, and they closed the temple doors and ran everybody out, but they took him into custody. Paul was arrested. Now, I'm not going to take the time to uh, read through the next uh, three, four, five chapters, but I'm going to kind of give you a 30,000-foot view of what happened. If we uh, go and we read down through uh, chapter 23, Paul's being arrested, and the first thing that happens is they bring him before what's called the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is a bunch of religious leaders that are kind of a, a judge-jury type group of people. And so these religious leaders, who were the ones that were really upset with him, brought him in there, and they were uh, accusing him of being blasphemous and all other kinds of things, and uh, preaching Jesus Christ. And so uh, they were literally trying him in a religious court. In chapter 24, we find him before the governor, Uh, Felix. Chapter 25, he's before another governmental leader named uh, Festus. And finally, when we come to chapter 26, he appears before King Agrippa. Now, the amazing thing is that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so uh, they were, you know, really trying to um, railroad him through Uh, this judicial process and uh, get rid of him, get him out of the way because they didn't like him preaching Jesus Christ. So uh, as a result of that, when you come to chapter 27, they set sail for Rome. Paul's on a boat, not riding first class. He's down in the probably the deepest part of the ship somewhere, chained, and he's a prisoner. You know the neat thing? He got a free trip to Rome, (laughs) paid for by the government. (laughs) Now, no doubt that wasn't probably what he had in mind when he was praying for a prosperous journey. But I don't think that upset Paul as much as we think it would. We'll talk about that just in a minute. Something else we mentioned here, uh, he didn't ride first class, he he rode as a prisoner. But we also mentioned good weather. 
Let's see what this good weather thing did on this journey. Let's look over at chapter 27. Look at verse 13. It says, and this is in the middle of uh, the sailing process, it says, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they uh, had attained their purpose, loosing uh, thence, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, there arose against uh, a tempest wind, and that's a strong wind, a tempestuous wind. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let, uh, we let her dive, he says. Drive. And said in verse 16, he says, And running into a certain island, uh, which is called uh, Claudia, he says, We had much work to come uh, by the boat. What had happened was a storm came up. Not just any rainstorm came up, a terrible storm came up. And it tossed this boat to and fro. Uh, notice down in verse um, 18, and we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, he says the next day we lightened the ship. You know how they lightened the ship? They threw all the cargo overboard. They also lightened the ship with Jonah was on it. You remember how they lightened the ship with him on it? They threw him overboard. <laughs> In verse uh, 19 it says, And the third day we cast out uh, uh, with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And so they took all of the things that had to do with the ship, anything that had any weight, uh, they threw it over, overboard to lighten the ship, to keep it from sinking because no doubt it was taking on water. Water was splashing in. And um, so pray for a prosperous journey that we have good weather. Did they have good weather? had terrible weather, dangerous weather, weather that was literally threatening their lives. All right, we also uh, prayed for no problems, no mechanical problems. The, uh, they're in this storm. Let's look over at verse 39, chapter 27, and verse 39. And when it was day, uh, they knew not the land, uh, but they discovered a certain creek, uh, with a shore into which they uh, were minded if it, be if it were possible to thrust in the ship. So get the idea. Uh, they see a little inlet there where a little stream is coming out. And they said, you know, if we can just get, that, get our ship to go right in there, then it'll kind of protect us from the storm. And so what they do is, uh, uh, it says in verse 40, and when they had taken up uh, the anchors, uh, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed uh, the rudder band, bands uh, and hoisted up the main sail to the wind uh, and made it toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran uh, the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast. Do I need to interpret that for you? Now, here they miscalculated something. 
They said, you know, if we can just run this sail up, we'll get a good, good, good little uh, burst of wind, and it'll take us right in there in that little uh, inlet, and we'll be safe in there till the storm passes by. But what they miscalculated is there were two streams of water that came together at that place. And all of a sudden, as the boat starts in there, one stream's pushing them one way, one's pushing them another, and what literally happened is it ripped the boat apart. Look at the, but the, the hinder part, the front part, stuck on, in the, uh, was aground, remember that? Stuck in the mud. It says, the last part of verse 41 says, but the hinder part was broken uh, with the violence of the waves. You know what that means? The boat broke in half. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was on a boat that broke in half, I wouldn't be very happy. That would definitely not be classified as a prosperous journey for me. And they were thrown into the sea. Well, somebody mentioned safety. What happened as far as his safety was concerned? Well, Paul uh, swims to shore, finally makes it to shore. No doubt he's probably been, you know, he was handcuffed and whatever, you know, everybody's just trying to fight for their life. So he makes it to shore over in ver chapter 28. Uh, notice he gets to shore, they're soaking wet, and they want to build a fire so they can dry out a little bit. And so in verse 3 it says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them uh, on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, do you understand what that says? What's a viper? It's not a car. <laughs> it's a snake. And it fastened on his hand. It didn't mean he shook hands with him. It bit him. A poisonous snake bit him. Now, I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be a safe trip for me. All of the things that we thought would be good for a prosperous journey, literally every one of them ended up being probably the worst thing that could happen. Have you ever prayed something and it seemed to get worse? Hello? Anybody <laughs> listen to me? It didn't get better. It got worse. You know what the problem is? The problem is we don't know what better and worse are. <clears throat> you say, no, wait a minute, Pastor. I think I know what something good is and what something evil is. God says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for you don't know it? Good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. I'll put it on the screen just a minute. What that verse is saying is it's not saying, what it's not saying is all good things work together for good. It says all things work together for good. 
What it's saying is that even being taken a prisoner when you're preaching the gospel can work together for good. What it's saying is, is while you're a prisoner, if you're on a ship and a, and a storm threatening your life and everyone else's life on board comes up, it can work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Even when the ship is broken in half, that's part of the all things, can work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Yes, even a snake bite can work together for good. Now our problem is that we can only see what's right here. We can't see what's tomorrow, the next day, the next week. We don't know what's out there. We only know what our plans are. What we would like to do, how we would like to live, and how, what we'd like to accomplish, what we would like to have. But God's ways are so far above our ways. God can see not only today, but he knows tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He is allowing things to come into our life today that is going to accomplish good and bring glory to him if we'll let it. But if we're not careful, we'll miss it. Because our definition of a prosperous journey doesn't match up with God's will for a prosperous journey. Now, I personally do not believe that Paul, if we were to interview Paul after he got bit by that snake, uh, if when he got to Rome, if, if as, a, as a reporter, we ran up there and we stuck a mic in his, in his face and we said, hey, Paul, how was the journey? I think he would have said it was prosperous. And you say, how could you say he would, he would respond that way? Well, let's look at a couple of passages. I think Paul would have insisted that his journey had been prosperous. Why? Well, let's look at Philippians 4. Hey, we're memorizing a verse close to that. Does anybody know what that is? Be careful for nothing but in by prayer and with don't leave this out with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God the next verse says and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus you know, sometimes we pray. We have the prayer and supplication thing down. But we forget that little phrase in the middle that says, with thanksgiving. Man, I didn't like that ship ride that we took. It definitely wasn't first class, and I didn't deserve to be arrested. I was a Roman uh, citizen, and they treated me terrible. And that storm, boy, that was a terrible, terrible storm. Tore our ship in half. 
And then I got bit by a snake. Isn't that kind of the stuff we talk about? If they interviewed us? I don't think Paul would have said any of that. He was the one that wrote that Philippians 4.11, by the way. He wrote the verse 6. We didn't look at 4, uh, 4.11, but what does 4.11 say? Who's got it? Read it. Not that I speak in request of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul learned to be content. He says, in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content. Now, he, didn't, he wasn't talking about whether I'm in Ohio or I'm in Kentucky or West Virginia or Virginia. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about geography. He's talking about what's going on in my life. What's going on around me. It really didn't matter to Paul. He said, you know, I've learned to be content. You know how he did that? By taking his prayer and supplication to the Lord with thanksgiving. He said, Brother Nichols, you're, you're starting to worry me a little bit here. You're saying... Being caught in a storm, having your ship torn asunder, being bit by a snake, that's all a prosperous journey. And I'm to be thankful for that. All of us go through storms. All of us have shipwreck from time to time. All of us get bitten by snakes. They just may not be the ones that crawl on the ground. When God allow, in fact, God has to allow it for the Christian. If, if it's not God's will for you to go through that, you will not go through it. And if he permitted me and he permitted you to go through that, then he's going to give us exactly what we need and his grace to accomplish it. And he wants us to glorify him as we go through that time and learn how to tap into his resources. But many times we as Christians, we gripe and we complain. We say, I don't see why I have to go through this. This is not fair. I give my tithe and look what's happening. I'm faithful to church. I read my Bible. I pray on a regular basis. This is not fair. How do we thank God for it? God, thank you for having enough confidence in me to trust me to glorify you in this situation. God, give me the grace, the desire, and the power that I need to glorify you right now. No doubt the Apostle Paul prayed something similar to that as he was in the middle of those storms and difficulties. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote another verse. Look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.
In verse 18, Now, I want you to help me here. I want you to talk to me, okay? I want to make sure you're getting this. I'll read the first word. You tell me what the next two are. In everything. In everything. Next two words. Give thanks. Give thanks. For this, referring back to the everything, for this is the in Christ Jesus concerning you. Did you hear what that said? I don't care what you're going through, what I'm going through in my life, and it, sometimes life is tough. Life is hard. But you know, no matter what we're going through, it's part of the everything. And God says, actually, he worked through the Apostle Paul, the guy that went through all of this mess, to give us the encouragement that in every situation, in everything that we're going through, make sure you give thanks because the everything you're going through is part of God's will in your life and what he wants to accomplish. Now, do you remember how he made that prayer request back there in Romans chapter 1? Did you notice how he... He asked them to pray for a prosperous journey. He says in verse 10, he says uh, that I might have a prosperous journey, don't forget this phrase, by the will of God. Not just that I'll have a prosperous journey to come unto you, but by the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes... When I pray, um, I, you know, I kind of pray not for the will of God to happen, but for the will of Gene to happen. <laughs> I want the first class. I want the good weather. I want the no problems. For sure, I don't want any snakes. But you know, sometimes God's will takes us through the valley. Sometimes it hurts. But you know the nice thing about it is? God promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. As I think about the uh, Apostle Paul, and I think about the fact that he, I believe he would insist there's a prosperous journey. I think it was because, would be because of his attitude. Paul was a contented person. It didn't matter what was going on in his life. He was thankful that he was saved, that he knew where eternity was for him, and then he knew God permitted it to come into his life. And all he wanted to do was to glorify God. You know, a lot of the verses that we, that we throw out there, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common. You know who wrote that? The Apostle Paul. How did he know that? Well, God could have 
told it to him in his mind. But I think God showed it to him in his life. I think he learned how to live that and how to trust in God. Many times we as Christians never learn it because we're busy complaining and criticizing and griping and saying, you know, God's not answering my prayer. When really, maybe he is. And we just don't know. I think there's another reason, not only because of his attitude of being a contented person. I think in uh, verse 23 of chapter 27, I think it was because of the companionship that he had. The scripture in that verse there, it refers to the angel of God. While Paul is on this journey, he has the angel of God, and I believe that's a reference to Jesus Christ was right there with him. And so that carries the idea that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Are you going through a storm right now in your life? <coughs> Have you had some snakes to bite you and people to lie about you? Boy, that hurts deep. God promised he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's right there with you. As I've already said, and your pastor said many times, you just need to obey God what he says to do and trust him to work it all out. Don't become defensive. Don't become a, a person that's critical or complaining or an unthankful person. There's another reason why I think Paul would have uh, insisted that he did have a prosperous journey. In Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 22, actually uh, chapter 1, verses 12 and 14, chapter 4, verse 32, it's, uh, Paul there, uh, he's in jail um, at Rome as he, as he wrote that letter uh, to the church. But there were people being saved everywhere. It's amazing that instead of getting a bad attitude, Paul said, you know, I've got an opportunity that I wouldn't have otherwise had. I've got people here that I can tell uh, them about Jesus Christ and how to be saved. And he just did it. Nobody would have listened to him if he'd had a poochie lip disease. You know what I'm saying? You know what the poochie lip is? That's the way most Christians go around. They got their lips stuck out like a bookshelf. Life is hard. Life is hard. But think what it would be like if you didn't have God on your side. He had a companion. He had a uh, converts as a result of that. But he also completed the journey. I may have gotten those backwards. No, it didn't. He completed the journey. Acts 28, verse 16. Let me just give you quickly some, some verses right here. You know, God always does what's best and makes no mistakes. I've already quoted for you Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God. Paul wrote that. The man that asked us, prayer for a prosperous journey. He was the one that wrote that. As we think about 
other scriptures that, that talk about God and the goodness of God. You know, God is good, and he always does what's best. Here's some references. Psalm 18, verse 30. Psalm 34, great psalm. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. And, the, and let me just make a couple of points here, and then I'll finish. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter here is, uh, in fact, if you're going through a time of suffering, a time of difficulty, the book of 1 Peter is an excellent book to just begin to read, study, and memorize. Peter talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. You know what that means? Suffering because you're a Christian. We have been blessed in America for many, many years that there was a, there was a level of respect. They would call them the men of the cloth preachers, pastors. There was a level of respect for the Word of God. Even by people that didn't believe in the Bible, that weren't Christians, that didn't go to church, they respected it, you know? We're losing that today in America. And people that are Christians are being harassed and persecuted, as I mentioned this morning. Even on the job, they're being ostracized. And I think we're approaching a time where many of us are going to have to suffer for righteousness sake if we're going to take a stand for God. And Peter addresses that, that whole issue. But in chapter 5, look with me at verse 10. Chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after, after, see that word after? I have a circle in my Bible. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What Peter's saying is we actually have two privileges in our life. The first one is to accept Christ as Savior. That's a privilege. Amen. But once we accept Christ as Savior, we have a second privilege. And that is to suffer for him. We don't like to talk about suffering. But I'm going to tell you, we need to think more about what we're going to do when we have to suffer for him. Am I going to glorify God when I go through that suffering? Paul says, after you've suffered a while, some very powerful things happen. He says, you become perfect. And the idea is you don't become sinless. You become mature. Hard times have a way of, 
of knocking off the rough edges in our lives and smoothing us out so that our lives glorify God. He says, establish you. That's the idea of planting you so you don't waver. Strengthen you. Settle you. All of those have to do with uh, words that establish us and make us strong in the Lord. You see, God knows what's tomorrow in our life. And he's using the events of today to prepare us for tomorrow. And let's face it, all of us need to be stronger. But the amazing thing, and Paul tells us this, he gives us a promise that Hebrews 13, 5 is that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But God promises us something in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. I've quoted it this morning, but let's all look at it together, would you? Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Let's stop right there. He's saying everything you face is just like everything that everybody else faces. You may think you're having a more difficult time in your life than others. He says, but bottom line is, we all have a tough time. He says, we all face similar temptations. But then he says, but God is something. Look at that. What's the word? God is faithful. Now, I don't know about you, but I am glad God's faithful. I'm not very faithful sometimes. I want to be, but sometimes I fail. Sometimes I fail people people in our congregation. Sometimes they fail me. Sometimes family members fail me. Sometimes I fail them. But you know that the, the amazing thing is God never fails. Amen. He's always faithful. And if he promised never to leave me nor forsake me, even if I don't feel like he's there, he's there. That's right. Because he promised to be. And he can't break his promise. Now notice this. He says, Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able? Now you know what that means? Now, uh, you know, Dustin's a big guy. Um, if I had a custom-made suit for me, it wouldn't fit Dustin. If he had a custom-made suit for him, it wouldn't fit him. It fit me. I mean, I'd have pants legs going all the way down the steps. God says, I know what each one of you can take. 
in this area of temptation. Mm -hmm. And I have a custom-built suit, so to speak, that's going to protect you when it gets too great. Now, Dustin may be able to handle a certain temptation at this level. Maybe I can only handle it at this level. God's not going to give me this one. He may give Dustin that one, but he'll cap mine off right here. That's what he's talking about, folks. The temptations that come into our life are tailor-made to be within what we can handle, listen, with his strength. That's why we have to stay tapped into him. Notice, he says, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of, or make a way to escape. escape. Why? That you may be able to bear it. Now, the amazing thing is, he didn't say, make a way of escape that you can get away from it. The idea is that you can go through it. Go through it and glorify God in the process. You say, Pastor, are, are we not to... Pray that God would give us a prosperous journey or pray for good positive things? No, I think we can pray for those. But I think we need to make sure the little phrase, by God's will. Because sometimes God may have a different plan than we do. And if God interrupts our plans, make sure that we give him thanks and praise for it and glorify Him. Let's pray.